You're listening to the Zoe Turner Podcast, business and mindset conversations that will help you move from fear and uncertainty to development and growth so that you can crush both life and business. Please welcome your host, Zoe Turner. I started a business 
Um, I had no clue what I was doing. I had no plan. I just woke up and, and decided to give it a go. And by the time I was 21, I built it to be really successful. I'd done it with two kids just 11 months apart at home. But um, I absolutely hated it, to be honest. It was never a business that I even enjoyed. Um, I'd fallen into the trap of perhaps chasing society's version of success to a certain degree. And also the place that I come from, um, you're always told that, you know, the only way you get anywhere is to work really hard. And, you know, you've got to kind of hit all these sort of society's sort of ideas of what success looks like. So... In 2013, I had completely hit burnout point. Um, I hated almost everything about my life. I was deeply unhappy, uh, barely sleeping, constantly sort of working. I didn't have a minute to myself. Um, and I just hadn't created the life that I wanted. I didn't have freedom and I didn't feel happy in any way, shape or form with any of it. And so I knew something had to change. So um, I decided to essentially burn it to the ground. I walked away from it again without a clue of what I was going to do next. I just knew that they had to be something different. And I started my journey to where I am today. Wow, that's incredible. Thank you. Before we talk about where you are today, I'd like to go back to the business that you set up when you were 19. And what were the attributes that you think that you had that enabled you to be so successful so young? Do you think it's the fact that maybe we, you know, were more of a risk taker when we're that age and we just delve straight in without thinking about it too much or was there something else? Um, I think some of it might also be because I was never connected with anybody who had their own business and nobody I knew had ever done it. So I was kind of working off a blank slate. I guess I didn't really know what, you, what was right and what was wrong. Um, and I didn't have kind of the concerns that I think a lot of people tend to have, you know, things like if I send this email and the person reads it and they think I'm, I'm being silly, then and, and so they, they kind of talk themselves out of doing things. I've never really been the type of person that stays in my head with that type of stuff. So if I get the idea, I'm going to execute it. So where perhaps other people wouldn't have sent the emails that I sent, I sent them. Um, whereas other people might have waited to kind of have a, a whole six-month plan. I just started within an hour and just kind of got going with it. Um, and I also wanted to blaze my own path. So I wasn't interested in doing the same as what perhaps others in the industry was doing. I was interested in bigger, and I was interested in going a slightly different route. So it was probably a combination of just the fact that I didn't have the same fears that some people have. Um, and also, I think the benefit of not really kind of knowing, I guess, what was right or what was wrong, what you should or shouldn't do. So I was just kind of working off that blank, you know, clean, clean sheet of paper, blank paper. I didn't really know what the steps would be. Let's talk about what you actually learned about yourself. When you reached rock bottom in your business, what are the three main things that you learned about who you are? Um, I learned that I am probably not like 99.9% .9 of people that, that I knew at that sort of time in my life. Um, I probably had all, always known that, to be honest, but hadn't necessarily really kind of acknowledged it myself. Um, I realized that a lot of the things that perhaps other people want from their life just wasn't the, the same as what I wanted, even though that had actually been what I was chasing. Um, I realized that success wasn't actually like the, the fundamental thing of what, of what it is that I wanted. So um, I always had this sort of vision of I just wanted to be really successful and I wanted like the, the, the tower of offices um, in New York type of thing. 
Um, but actually, after that first experience of having a um, really successful business, I actually came to the conclusion that whilst I desired success, I desired it on my own terms, not um, on perhaps everybody else's terms. It was a definite meaning for me. Um, and I also discovered that actually asking for help <laughs> isn't, um, isn't a sign of weakness. So something up until that point for me was... I had to do everything myself. Um, if you couldn't do it, then you were a failure type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd always think it was just, oh, I'm just a control freak. But actually, it was more based around, I had stories that would say that um, asking for help was a bad thing. So um, I actually discovered that story about myself and some of the, the things that I probably had playing and I'd been sort of living my life by for quite a time were actually not beneficial. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's quite a common story and a lot of us tell ourselves. I know it's something that I've certainly told myself over the years, that it's a weakness if you ask people for help. And uh, and you you see, you look at the people around you. I remember once talking to a friend of mine and uh, he was a prolific networker. And he said to me, I have no problem asking people for help. Absolutely no problem. And I thought, you know what, there's not actually any shame in it, you know. Most people would probably be happy to help you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I was always someone that just saw asking help as a weakness, like you should be able to do it yourself, um, which probably also attributed to being so burnt out. So instead of really allowing people to help and really allowing people to perhaps run things, um, I was constantly under the impression that I constantly needed to be there in some way, shape or form, and I constantly needed to be doing it um, or at least managing the people who were doing it because I was that sort of nobody could do it as well as I could do it Um, but yeah and so something that I definitely embraced from then till now is the asking for help aspect of things and there was lots of kind of stories that I had around it that I completely changed because asking for help actually is probably one of the, the the strongest things you can do and so definitely isn't a weakness yeah definitely before we go into talking about tips and mindset can you just share with us what that business was yeah so the business was in the event sector so we were hiring out to begin with anyway we were hiring out um items that people would use at events um and then as the business grew we moved into e-commerce aspect of it we also had franchises so in the end there was lots of different um, arms to the business but it was all centered um around either hiring out event things, event planning, those types of things. What would you say was the number one reason that people don't move forward in business? I'd say the number one reason is because they stay stuck in their own head. Um, Our head can create so many uh, different stories that just keep us stuck. I think on a daily basis, so many people have amazing ideas. And then before they even think about taking the action, they've already talked themselves out of doing it. Um, And I think that one of the biggest things that to get to where you really want to be and to take that action, you've got to get out of your head and into just doing it versus having the idea and then kind of talking yourself out of it because there'll always be the fear of doing something. So, you know, some people are afraid to go live because they're afraid that someone's going to laugh at what they've got to say or they're afraid that they sound silly. Um, And it's the same with anything, I think. They'll have an idea to do something and then they spend the next sort of couple of hours telling themselves why they shouldn't do it because this might happen or that might happen or it might not work. So I think it's probably a combination of 
being stuck in their own head and that fear of failure that fear if they, they did do it and not working out and then them feeling like a, a failure over it is probably the most common reasons that I sort of come across as to why people stay stuck where they are. I looked through your podcast because you have your own, you're a podcast host as well so you have your own podcast show uh, where you talk about uh, give lots of business tips and strategies to help people move forward with the business and in one of your podcasts, you talked, you spoke about a secret ingredient to hitting your goals. I'm quite intrigued to know what this is. Um, so I think when most people set goals, they set them and sort of write it down on a piece of paper and then they sort of plan out, okay, so if I'm trying to make a certain amount of sales, that means I need X amount of leads, that means I need to take X amount of action. But for me, the secret to sort of actually making the goals happen is to set it as a non-negotiable as if the goal has already happened and kind of put yourself in a position where you approach it from being a complete done deal. So, um, I mean, an example obviously is I had a goal of moving abroad um, and I wanted to do it in six months. So right at the beginning of that goal, I booked my one-way ticket um, and I set that as the non-negotiable of I've booked the one-way ticket, therefore I've made it a non-negotiable, therefore now in my own head, I can approach everything I do from this point in time as I am going um, versus I hope to. Um, so for me, when it comes to goal setting, it's about making that goal a live living thing in your life. So not just sort of saying I've set the goal, but then stepping into the version of you who has made that goal non-negotiable and then is acting from the space of being in complete sort of faith and trust that that goal's happened. So when you're perhaps talking to yourself or talking to people, you don't come from the aspect of I'm trying to or I'm hoping to, you would come from the aspect of I have or I am. Um, because often I think with goal setting, people will set a goal and then they kind of forget about it in some way or they get really hung up and stuck with the how of the goal. Whereas actually, if we're detached from the how a little bit and we just make that goal non-negotiable by putting things in place that make us feel like that's 100% happening and then really stepping into the mindset of it is happening, it's a done deal, we'll often find that the action that we take is the action that would make that goal happen anyway. Whereas when we are acting from the space of we've set the goal, but perhaps are not 100% confident it's going to happen, our action is usually then coming from that sort of nervous, fear, worry type of space. And it doesn't necessarily match up to the action that you would take if you were that confident, I'm already doing this goal. So for me, it's about making the goal non-negotiable, make it like a living, breathing thing, um, and then step into the version of you every day who is acting from the space of that goal. So instead of I'd like to, it's I am. I like that, that's very powerful, thank you. One thing that we would need to kind of generate more sales is to have a good following, a tribe, to have a good email list. You talk about in your podcast how you grew your email list in a space of four weeks from zero to 1,000. Share a little bit with us about how you made that possible. So um, I guess actually um, it kind of goes in hand to something that I said used to be one of my weaknesses. So actually by taking that weakness, um, by taking that sort of feeling of asking for help and being a weakness away, um, I was actually able to, to, to build the email list to that size in four weeks because I actually leveraged collaborations. So it was actually all about having help from others. 
uh, in order to make it happen. So, I mean, when I started, um, webinars and things were all the rage. <laughs> so everybody was doing uh, webinars all the time. So when I started, what I did was I gathered some people that I was already connected to. I also went into other spaces and I just asked, you know, who would be interested in doing some either joint webinars or I had people on as guests. So I kind of hosted them and they were a guest on the webinar with me. And just by leveraging collaborations, by collaborating with people who had my ideal clients in their audience, I was then able to get them to come over to me and join my mailing list. Because when you collaborate with someone, you are instantly being put in front of your ideal client further up than no like and trust ladder than if that person was just going to randomly find you. Um, on social media. So collaborations are really powerful. And it's one of the things that I sort of champion for people that if you are currently in a position where you don't have your own audience or you're not necessarily going very quickly, if you leverage collaborations, you'll see that that growth will happen much quicker. Collaboration through the route of doing a, web a webinar. And it was the webinar itself where you collated or where you gathered your email list. Yeah, so um, like I said, so when I started, that was webinars were all the rage. These days, you can collaborate in so many other ways. You can do Instagram takeovers. You can do podcasts. You can do Facebook shows. You know, there's so many different options out there for collaborating these days. You can do challenges with people. Um, I just used the webinar one because at the time when I started, I think everybody was doing webinars. There was about 10 webinars running every hour of the day. Um, they're not necessarily so much of a big thing anymore, but you can definitely collaborate in any way, really. Um, there's no kind of box as to what you can do these days. So you talk about how you can help business owners achieve 10K months. What would you say were the four essential steps that individuals can take, that business owners could take into making that happen? So I specialize in high ticket myself. So I leverage the high ticket model in order for people to have those bigger income months. But essentially, the four key sort of steps for anybody is you have to know your niche. Um, if you want to be seen online these days, you're going to have to be niched. Um, if you want to be selling high ticket, you need to be seen as a specialist in something, much like those kind of high designer brands. They're not for mass market. Um, and you would need to approach your high ticket from the same type of space. But being niche is actually really important because... I think most people think that they need this whole like millions and millions and millions of people to potentially buy from them to make sales. But when you do that, you just blend into the background and nobody really knows you're there. Whereas when you niche down to a specific area, you become that sort of big fish in a small pond, which means you get those results versus being that little fish in a really big pond and nobody really sees you. So the first thing is always niche down and be as specific as you can possibly be. You can always broaden out as you, as you grow, as you are more established, as you build an audience, you can always broaden yourself out a little. But to begin with, the more niche you can be, the easier you're going to find it to grow and make those sales. The second thing is to always make sure that you are selling the wants. So coaches, service providers, which is who I specialize in working with, one of the biggest things they will do is they sell the service or the coaching instead of what the service or the coaching is going to help someone do achieve change or get. So it's always about approaching what it is that you're selling, much like if you go into a travel agent, they're not selling you the plane, they are selling selling you the destination, they're selling you the sandy beaches or the snowy Alps or whatever it is that you are looking to do. So it's the same with your offerings. So when you are putting packages together, always position towards 
the wants always positioned towards the destination of where your work is going to take your ideal clients and more importantly where your ideal clients actually want to go so they're not going to buy something that they're not aware that they need so the the selling the wants aspect and then giving them what they need is really kind of what you need to focus on when it comes to actually putting packages together the third thing would be to be really clear on your money making and sales activities so excuse me a lot of people they want to make sales but then they'll spend four hours tinkering a website that no one can see so even though your website is perhaps going to be important if you are someone that is kind of not having any traffic driven to your website then that's not your money making activity and whilst you might want to dedicate say one hour a day to doing it you don't want to be stuck doing six and seven hours on that website that no one's going to see because your sales are just not going to come from that space and, and it's also really important to understand that your ideal clients their buying habits where you're going to be able to market to, to them to for maximum return isn't necessarily the same place that you kind of hang out i think a lot of people on facebook they have this well i hang out in a group that means everybody else must hang out in a group therefore i'm going to make sales there but actually that's just not the case for some people some people's ideal clients don't hang out on facebook at all so the third thing is to make sure that you've got really clear on your sales and money making activities as a general rule of thumb you should be able to get your money making and sales activities down into 90 minutes in a day um, and just make sure that you're not spending loads of time in a space that you're just not going to get a return and of course you have to make sure that you are you have that sort of marketing strategy and sales process that brings in the right people and then provides them with the right environment for them to actually convert and work with you and the final thing would be you so it's really important that you understand who you would be if you were effortlessly selling at that level and you were making those consistent incomes for most people that isn't the version they are right now for most people the version they are right now is probably someone who is chasing every sale they probably the minute someone shows them any interest they're like holding on to that lead for dear life and so the idea is that if you understand the version of you who is already at that level and then you sort of make it a done deal on that inner level so perhaps the energy and the feelings and the mindset and the beliefs that you would have if you were doing it you bring them into your life now you'll find that you approach things differently you'll find that you give off a different type of energy and most people find that they're actually taking different action but it's that action that is going to enable to happen in the first place so the final part is always you it's always understanding who would you be and then be in that version of you because it's that version of you that's going to make it happen thank you that was a great answer jane what is the one biggest mistake that business owners make when choosing their target market so the biggest mistake they tend to make is they focus on um how much money they think the individual has so most people think that to make sales they've got to find someone that has plenty of money in their bank account the issue with coming from that space is most people don't walk around with their bank account details on their head and most people don't also just hang out in in one space you know unless you're targeting a very specific sector of society you'll find the people that can afford to pay your prices will be intermingled in lots of different areas um, and when you decide based on price you tend to miss out on all of the things that would make it important for someone to buy so the thing to remember is just because someone has money doesn't mean they need what you do and if you are choosing your target market based upon 
the fact that you think they have lots of money, you're making a lot of assumptions about an individual. You're making assumptions that they have money unless you've actually got access to their bank account. You really don't know that. Um, and also you're assuming that just because they've got money, they're going to buy what you want. Really, you've got to focus on who is going to value what it is that you are selling um, versus choosing someone based upon the fact that they are quote unquote rich as such. Um, I know people who have plenty of money and yet they get sold to every single hour of the day and for 99.9% of the things, they'll say no uh, because it is not something they want and it's not something they value. It really doesn't matter how much money they have, they won't buy. Um, you know, and I've had people come to work with me and uh, choose some of my highest packages who on the face of it, you would sort of jump to the conclusion that they couldn't invest. And, um, you know, they're people that are just starting out in business. They haven't got kind of um, the income and things, and yet they've gone and purchased my highest packages. So it's always a big mistake to choose your target market based upon how much money you do or don't think they have because there's always gonna be people who can and there'll always be people who can't. And the main focus when you're choosing your ID client has to be that it's someone that's going to value what it is that you do. If they don't value it, they're not gonna buy no matter how much money they might have. Thank you. Before we end this podcast, I just wanna ask you one last question and that is about routines. Do you have any specific routines like morning routines that you do to enable you to um, work in an optimal state and achieve everything that you need to throughout the day? Uh, routines are really important. So it's actually something that I, I was never very good at. Um, I didn't have any boundaries. Um, Self-care was a word that I thought um, you only did if you wanted to have your nails done or something. So in recent years, I've paid a lot of attention to my routines. Um, and I actually do lots of different things. So for me, um, batching my days is really important. So I don't have, um, so for example, I don't do client calls every single day of the week. Um, I only do client calls on one day of the week. Um, I don't do admin every single day of the week. Um, and I really batch my days and my activities. That means that I don't sort of end up going to my day on this kind of roller coaster because when we are, doing lots of different activities in a day we tend to find that they require different energies and so we go on this like roller coaster and we can feel quite tired and not very productive by the end of the day so one of the things i do is batching content no batching content batching days so i've got days for specific things and um, i also use a timer for everything so if I am doing a task, a timer goes on, once the timer goes off, I leave it. That means that I'm actually focusing and I'm getting that thing done. But some of the biggest important routines for me um, are making sure that I have self-care in my routine every single day. So I have a minimum of three self-care activities that I do every single day. Um, and then on the weekend, I have more like that radical self-care. So I'm really filling myself up on the weekend. But I also like to have many routines before I do things. So um, lots of people, when it comes to activities such as sales calls or perhaps even just a Facebook Live, um, if you can have a routine before you do it. So for example, some of my clients find that they need to increase their energy before a sales call. So they might put on some music and they'll dance around. Other clients find that to, produce, to kind of do sales calls the best, they need to quiet themselves down. So they might light a candle and kind of have like a five minutes of peace before they go on that call so i like to have different routines that activate different 
sort of part of me so I can perform best in whatever it is that I'm doing. So I've got routines before sales calls. I've got routines before client calls because every activity requires a different level of energy of you. And so if you can understand what activates it, then you can make sure that in every space you're operating from that optimum space and you get more done as well. You feel more productive and you don't feel as sort of drained at the end of the day. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time today, Jane. You've given us some really gold nuggets of information there, some fantastic advice, which I'm sure the audience will be able to gain a lot of clarity from. Thank you so much for your time. It was a pleasure talking to you. Where can people find you if they would like to get in contact with you? You can find me on all social media platforms, um, Jane Baker Biz. So Jane Baker B-I-Z is the handle on all of them. Um, and I also have a free community on Facebook for anybody who wants to sell um, high ticket, which is the Limitless Living Lounge. So you can just head to Facebook, type it in the search bar, and you'll be able to request access from there. That's great. Okay, and guys, I will be putting all Jane's handles in the show notes as well. So you will be able to easily access them if you want to. 